Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Sutra is here, just getting over the flu, so sorry I'm not in full voice. But uh, really happy to uh, present this episode with uh, television producer Joe Henderson, a great TV writer, has wonderful credentials, including great shows like White Collar and Graceland. Really that amazing USA formula. I don't know how the hell they do it, but uh, most of their shows are really good action shows. They're funny, uh, good dialogue, great casting, uh, great use of guest stars. And uh, Joe is bringing all that mojo to Fox with uh, this new show, Lucifer, of course, based on the Neil Gaiman, Sam Keith character that came from Sandman, the excellent Mike Carey run in uh, Vertigo. It starts on Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Check your local listings. It's going to premiere after the second chapter of The X-Files. That starts on the 24th, and then episode two is on uh, Monday the 25th at 8, and then Lucifer follows. And it's really good. I I mean it. And I'm really excited to be able to say that. Because sometimes, you know, people do come to me and, hey, do you like my movie? And it's like, all right, it's all right. Uh, But no, (laughs) this was really good. And uh, great cast, uh, really fun. And I talk about that with Joe. And we just talk about the challenges of uh, network television. I mean, this has been great. I've really had a wonderful opportunity in the last year to talk to a lot of TV people and how they are competing in this very new version of television between streaming and cable and uh, just online uh, in general. Netflix, Hulu, you name it. It's very, very interesting. I think Fox is giving this show a chance to succeed, putting it in a great slot. It's going to be, you know, in front of the X-Files, or after the X-Files for the first half of its season, and then uh, uh, following up, it's going to be uh, Gotham. So that's really cool. I wish Joe all the best uh, luck, and I really like Joe, and I'm really happy to uh, get his point of view on uh, today's uh, comic book television world in this episode of Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. Uh, I truly appreciate that. You know, uh, another uh, convention actually asked me to uh, be part of it, and uh, when everything gets uh, finalized, I will start promoting that. But uh, looking forward to convention season. I think it's going to start with C2E2 for me in March. Hope to see you there. Uh, If not, the great thing is, Word Balloon, I'll I'll bring you my coverage of the various cons that I go to, but also each week, uh, an in-depth one-on-one with uh, somebody that you'd likely see on a convention panel, and uh, I think it's even better, because it's not 40 minutes long. Uh, I think a lot of times you get to hear stuff that you wouldn't normally hear at a convention, and uh, this is the kind of programming that I hope to bring to you each week on Word Balloon, and the League of Word Balloon listeners make that possible. Thank you very much. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Uh, there's a portal to it right there at the front page of wordballoon.com. If you click on the Patreon ad, it'll take you there. If you can spare a dollar a month, that's terrific. Thank you for the support. And if not, that's okay, too. Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. Uh, the best way to help me uh, promote Word Balloon, as I say, is to uh, let your friends know that they might like the show, too. So thanks again, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. 
there are some great trades available this week in particular at InStock Trades. Uh, things like the Punisher Max Trade Paperback Complete Collection. Garth Ennis, man. Volume 1 is uh, 50% off. It's $17.49. Then you can also get uh, Grayson Trade Paperback Volume 2. My good buddies Tim Seeley and Tom King kicking ass on uh, the uh, Dick Grayson spy book. Volume 2 is We All Die at Dawn. And it is 45% off, just $8.24. You can get Thor, the trade paperback, Volume 1, Goddess of Thunder. Jason Aaron and Russell Dauterman are doing an excellent job on that book. 50% off, it's just $9.99. Just a couple of the books you can find at InStockTrades.com. Look out and uh, find your favorite artists and writers at unbelievable prices. If you make your orders $50 or more, you receive free shipping from InStockTrades.com. All right, my voice is getting cash, so uh, let's go back to last week when I was in full voice and had the opportunity to talk to Joe Henderson about uh, Fox TV's new show, Lucifer, based on the great Vertigo series and Sandman character. Uh, Great opportunity to get inside the showrunner's mind and uh, take a look at this excellent show. Here's Joe Henderson, now on Word Balloon. Man, he's back, and I'm really glad he is. Joe Henderson, television writer extraordinaire and showrunner of uh, of Lucifer. Good to hear from you, Joe. Good to hear from you, too, man. It's been way too long. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be back. Yeah, we did our, our first conversation in, I want to say, May of 2013. I think that's right. And people can look it up. I was looking, and uh, I think Fraction was on the show as well, and Ron Richards of Image Comics. Yeah, not but a lot. Yeah, man. Well, you know, and I, Christ, I was impressed with your uh, credentials with uh, – white collar back in the day when we were talking and as we were just talking now before we started recording um you had a cup of coffee with uh, almost human that was the carl urban fox show right yeah yeah that was a fun one i i I was only on there for like a month at the very end and uh i wish the show had kept going because i think we really found a a rhythm and a and a voice and it was really fun to work on but uh network tv nowadays it's a it's a tough landscape well, yeah, you know, honestly, I, I want to talk about that difference um, because it is ever changing, mm-hmm. and it's really fascinating how, uh, you know, a few years ago, I always bring up my example of talking to Jesse Alexander, who used to be on Lost and Alias and Heroes and several other shows, and we talk about that twenty-two to twenty-four episode model of of network television versus cable and now certainly streaming 10 to 13 episodes yeah. so listen then my, my favorite part about uh lucifer is not my favorite part but uh, a very nice part of it is uh we're only 13 episodes for the first season which is such a nice way to be able to get your legs and figure out what your show is and know that you're writing towards the beginning middle and end that are only 13 hours long absolutely now let's get the the particulars out right away it's going to start on the 25th Mon- uh, is that a Monday? Yes, it's uh, Monday the 25th after the X-Files second episode. Well, that doesn't suck. That is not a terrible time slot, I got to say. <laughs> no, oh my God, I was overjoyed. For one, I'm a huge X-Files fan. But two, like to be able to be positioned in a spot like that, we're there for, I think, the X-Files five episodes following the premiere, and then we're with Gotham. So I couldn't ask for a better shot. <laughs> I understand, man. No, and I think that's terrific, and I think it helped uh, iZombie to follow the Flash. Oh, yeah. And um, I have to say, and you were kind enough to let me uh, see the pilot uh, before the premiere um, without getting uh, too into many details. It's very funny. It's uh, You've got a, a very photogenic, uh, charming <laughs> cast. 
you know, what's your lead's name? I'm, I'm, I'm doing the IMDb. Uh, it's uh, not, Tom Ellis I'm, is the lead, and then Lauren German uh, is the, uh, the, the our number two, and they're fantastic. Yeah, man, great chemistry between them. Uh, now, Tom did was he did one of the stars Spartacus shows? Uh, let's see. No, that was uh, that was uh, uh, Leslie Ann Brandt, who oh, uh, me. Threat, who plays Mazikeen or Maze. Uh, she was on Spartacus. Tom was. Let's see. He was on Rush. He was on Once Upon a Time. He was on Doctor Who. Uh, he's been around a lot. He's like one of those faces that you've seen, but you haven't really associated with a character yet, which is what is so great about this is, you know, like he, he'll be defined, hopefully, as Lucifer, as opposed to a character, an actor you like playing the devil. Understood. And yes, I do remember him now. As soon as you said Rush, I'm like, yes, yeah. that guy. Yeah, it's that guy. No. And he is he's a he's a charming Lucifer as as well. He should be right. Because, you know, that's that's the strength of this portrayal of Lucifer is his ability to, you know, make people comfortable and, and with him and then get them to kind of divulge their their dark secrets and uh, dark desires. Yeah. What I think it's funny because I, I came onto this project a little uh, after the pilot was shot. So I can't even take any credit for the pilot, which is why I feel really good saying it's awesome. Because the reason that I jumped on the show was because I saw the pilot and I was like, oh, I, I would like to keep doing this. Um, and what I think is so cool about it is Tom Kapanos, the guy who did Californication, uh, he wrote the pilot. And he wrote it, he writes most characters to a certain extent as a as a version of himself uh in a really good way it's like that's why <laughs> hank moody in californication david duchovny's character like they're all sort of a different version of 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 his inner unfiltered inner monologue uh and but when you get tom ellis reading those words with his british uh sort of for one thing the british can just get away with saying anything but then you put tom <laughs> kapanos's words in his mouth and you get this duality of you you get you get a whole new character that uh, exists from both of those voices combined, and, and a whole new character that I hadn't really seen in a while. So uh, so yeah, it, the the fun of it is like the, what the amount that he brings to this character, and the amount that the amount of crazy weird dialogue you can give him and make it sound just charming and wonderful because he's the most charming British man I've ever met in my life. It's a it's it's a good thing to have. I don't blame you, man. No, it's uh, also uh, DB Woodside. Yes, is in there. Yes, Amandel. You you say Amandiel. Amandiel. Okay, see that's and I'm Greek and I should be able to get some of these names. Sorry, right. we, we we called him Amenadude for a while. That helps you remember uh, the the cadence <laughs> of it. So, yeah. And DB was uh, Principal Wood in that last season above. Damn right he was. Yeah. I, uh, so yeah, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, again, hey, it's that guy. Oh, I geeked out on him. And by the way, he's like a hardcore nerd, so he geeked out right back on all sorts of stuff. He's oh, that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. And God, I got to tell you, uh, Rachel Harris oh. as. Uh, the psychiatrist and man, I love her. She is, she is great in everything. Yes. She was on, uh, uh, Oh God suits. Yep. And, uh, one of the, one of the best, like one, uh, episode moments of curb your enthusiasm where, uh, she's, I want to say Mel Brooks's assistant and kind of, and actually she's got a couple episodes. It builds. Oh, you know, I, I need there. to go rewatch those. Cause I don't know if I ever realized that was her. Yeah, oh, wow. I, I'm pretty sure she's Mel Brooks's. I mean, one of those Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, seasons. And yeah, she's an administrative assistant that, you know, of course, Larry says the wrong thing and immediately. <laughs> you, you've given me an excuse to rewatch Curb Your Enthusiasm, so thank you. 
So that's great because yeah, she's really funny in the pilot, and I'm looking on the IMDb. Is she is she in more episodes? Oh yeah. Now? Is she uh, it, so she's she for the people listening who don't know she she plays basically the therapist to the devil, and or at least she <laughs> will be in, in, as we go move forward with our stories. And it's if you have someone as talented as Rachel Harris who can do humor and also drama and everything in between. It's just been it's just been a gift. And like there's there's a scene in the pilot, the one that you saw, which on the page, I remember reading it and being like, this scene is either going to be amazing or it's going to fall flat on its face because it was a little absurd and kind of crazy. And it really it required a really great actress to ground it. And she just I think just knocks it out of the park. That's excellent. Now, I'm going to let you describe as much as you want to set up this pilot because it's slightly different from what Mike Carey gave us in the regular Lucifer book, what Neil did in the Sandman books and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, because um, someone told me describing the show, they're like, well, it's a police procedural and all of a sudden, Luc- you know, Lucifer is an, is an L.A. cop. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's what it is. Then I saw it and I'm like. Okay, I get that description, but there's more to it than that. So you you take it from there. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it really just takes a page from, um, I mean, from from Game and Sandman, where Lucifer decides to go to a piano bar or to build a ban- piano bar in L.A. And whereas in Mike Carey's book, which I I absolutely loved, what he and Peter Gross did, I thought it was just fantastic. Whereas whereas they took that to uh, go into these huge, fantastical, wonderful ideas. We are doing a much more grounded story of the devil owning his piano bar. He's been in L.A. for five years. He's having a great time when uh, someone that he's grown rather fond of is killed, and he decides to look into the murder and, in doing so, um, encounters a police officer uh, who is unaffected by his charms. And by that I mean, and what you saw in the pilot is, Lucifer has his effect on people, which is when you're around him, he draws out your your deepest desires, your wants. It's... It's sort of like I, I consider it like sort of an analog to Catholic confession, which is like you, you, you know, you tell him you tell him those things that you don't want to tell anyone else. And in it. But what I love about it is it, it's, it's a freeing thing. Like when you when you when you say these things, when Lucifer gets them out of you, you're sort of like it feels good to tell the devil the desires that you don't normally say aloud. And uh, but this woman, this this Chloe Decker, this uh, detective. It doesn't work on her. In fact, she com- seems completely unaffected by absolutely anything he does. And this is the first time any mortal has ever been impervious to his charms and abilities. And so Lucifer becomes intrigued by her and also intrigued by exploring the human condition through her cases. So that's where you get to the idea of Lucifer working with the detective to solve crimes. He's less curious about the crimes and more curious about her and the sort of uh, human elements involved with, because he's vacationing in Earth, he's having a good time, and he, we're sort of like, we're sort of curious, curiosities to him. And so he's been exploring us usually through drinking and sex and having a lot of fun, but Chloe op- offers an opportunity to explore humanity in a deeper, more interesting and more dangerous way, all of which sounds like a whole lot of fun to him. Yeah, and and then of course, and I don't know, is this too much? And if it is, we'll cut it out. But uh, DB Woodside's character it points out the very point of what happens to the damn souls 
when the devil leaves hell mm-hmm. and leaves his responsibilities. And obviously that's got to be part of the meta story. Certainly it's, it's represented in the pilot to a degree. No, I think that's, that's a really important element of it because uh, what, while we have these elements of our, our case of the week, we are a very serialized show. And one of the big things looming over Lucifer is his brother, Amenadiel, basically saying, like, listen, what happens to hell when the devil's away? What's going on there? Whose responsibility is this? You need to do this. And having that threat loom large and having that sense of what are the consequences of this is, all are elements that we are building towards within the season. Um, because, like, I personally, I don't want to write a procedural about the devil just solving cases every week. That's not, <laughs> that's not a particularly interesting show to me. Uh, I also think that I, I think that the character is far too interesting and far too much fun to uh, narrow down to that. What's what is so great is this show has a, 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 a the most irredeemable character possible that we're going taking on the very a very slow redemption path. And by the way, just two steps forward, one step back, uh, all of that when it comes to his journey and him learning about humanity and learning about good and bad. Uh, it's yeah, I guess we're, we are a weird mishmash of procedural comedy, drama, horror. Um, I mean, we're it, it's in many ways a lot like what Buffy did. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And and to be honest, again, I see a kinship to iZombie. Yes, very much in so. Ter- in terms of the broad strokes are there of what we got in the comic and stuff. But it is its own animal in a good way. And I think it's going to be very appealing to a mainstream audience because – Tom Ellis and, and and Lauren, it's German or Germain? Uh, German. Ger- Lauren German. They're they're very charming, and especially Tom. And as you say, yeah, when he when he is on a tear on a on a you know soliloquy of words and stuff, I mean, it's it's really fun, and uh, and that's interesting because that was going to be one of my questions. Is I mean the the sincerity or lack thereof of Lucifer's in terms of trying to be different. I mean, it, you know, I don't know. I couldn't really tell from those conversations if he was playing or if, you know, and I guess obviously that's going to be the question of the series. How dark are we going to see this Lucifer game? Well, what I love about the character of Lucifer, and this is one of the things that we stole wholeheartedly from from Gaiman and Carrie, is he doesn't lie. Lying, lying it, it, it places you underneath someone. It makes you a lesser thing. Uh, what's much more interesting is to use the truth as a weapon and to uh, to be true to yourself. Like, it, you... It, it, it's it's a self-respect sort of thing. So Luce, when Lucifer says something, he believes it. He lives in the moment. He's sort of he's sort of like a child, or even even more so like a guppy. You know, like he's living in like the exact moment that he's in at the moment. Now the thing is, also like a child though, he could be lying to himself. He could be unaware of what's going on with him. So if he says something along the lines of, you know, no, I I'm perfectly happy the way I am, he might believe that, but is it true? You know, it's what, uh-huh. what I find so fascinating about the character is his he's his own worst enemy. And he's also he's so aware of all of humanity's faults. He's so aware of all of our desires, but he doesn't really quite understand his own. And he's trying to figure it out. But, you know, as as we do, he's kind of a bit of a self-sabotaging figure. I uh, I really did love this pilot. I was uh, I was so very happy that. with that. Well, it is. It's funny. It's light in a in a good way. I mean, that's the thing. Did do you guys feel like there were lessons to be learned from 
things like Constantine? I mean, how much um, how much do you know about Tom Capinos taking the game in concept and turning it into TV? What kind of conversations have you had with Tom you know, in terms of coming onto the show and, and understanding what he was trying to do with it? You know, I haven't talked much to Tom. Um, he's moved on to other projects. Len, oh. Len Weissman, who directed the pilot, and Ildi Modrovic, who uh, was involved in some of the work on the pilot, the two of them were still around when I came on. And so it was the three of us uh, talking a lot about it. Um, but okay. I sort of, what I, I was handed a pilot sort of fully formed, which was here's the world and here's the characters. And I remember I, just, I watched it. I was like, I know what this show is. But more importantly, I know where you can go with it. I know the stories you can tell if they'll let us tell them. And what was really nice is when I was meeting on the show, I just sort of said, this is what I would do. And if this is what you want, hire me. And luckily, we were all on the same page. And obviously, there's been quite a bit of figuring out what part of the page that is and finding, finding what the happy medium of our weird, weird mix of, of genres and tones is. I mean, like, I, I remember one of the executives was like, you have chosen one of the hardest shows to work on because you're a procedural, but you're not. And you're a character drama, but you're not. And you're a comedy, but you're not. Oh, and don't forget that you're a horror show. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it, that's also all the things that I love thrown, in, thrown into one big pot of stew. So it's, uh, it, it's so it, I, th- long story short, I actually have no idea how they adapted to previous shows i know how i personally have adapted which is trying to avoid being too serious uh and not Mm -hmm. and not being afraid to make fun of ourselves but luckily that was already baked into the dna of the show Uh, i think a little humor goes a long way into humanizing an absurd concept and the devil owning a piano bar and working with a cop is a pretty absurd concept but it also (laughs) is a whole lot of fun and once you accept that buy-in which I think with the pilot, most people will, I hope at least, uh, then you just go on the ride. And th- my challenge now is to make that ride as most interesting as possible. That's excellent. I, uh, I, you know, I'm on the IMDB page. Um, several of the directors listed, you tell me if they're still on board. I, I, I hope so, because I'm reading some, some great names here, uh, certainly uh, names that uh, listeners will be aware of from a from an acting standpoint, but I also know they are uh, capable of directing good TV as well. Eric LaSalle. Oh yeah, yeah, he directed our seventh episode, which was fantastic. Great, the great voice of Johnny Quest uh, among his many uh, credits. Mr. Tim Matheson. Oh yeah, yeah, big fan. Yeah, he's, huge fan. Yeah, he was great. I mean, we yeah, we've been very fortunate. We got the two of them. I don't know. David, David Tamer uh, came uh, for an episode. Uh, we've got. We've got a really great uh, list of directors, and we've got a really the, – the funny thing is I doubt much of the cast is on there because they haven't really announced them yet. But, like, we've got Jim Rash, uh, of all people. Like, we've got, we've got uh, uh, Coleman Domingo, who, if you're watching Fear the Walking Dead, uh, is, yeah. became, like, the standout in the back half of that. Uh, we've got Al Madrigal. We've got Jeremy Davies. Uh, we have Rebecca De Mornay. Like we have all of these. Oh, that's great. We have all of these actors. <laughs> yeah, who I don't know if they would normally do a show like ours, but luckily they've really responded to the material, and I think they just have had fun playing these weird, strange scenes that we're giving them. Uh, one of the uh, one of the executives I was talking to in casting was like, 
She calls me up. She's like, are you just trying to make a little, like, indie movie every week with your casting? Because, you know, we should probably, you know, like, are, are you, I don't know if we're going to get these names through. And I'm like, no, 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 that's exactly what this should be. This should be an, a weird, crazy indie movie every week. That, like, we should be hiring the Rachel Harris's of the world every week to come play in our sandbox. Here, here. And, and so far, we've been really lucky. Oh, Kevin Rankin, who I've loved since Friday Night Lights, we have doing a... Uh, a multi-episode arc like we've got these just really cool names and then that gives our actors even more to play with uh when they're on the screen together and also he was only in the one episode but really funny he's in the pilot uh chicago's very own bailey chase who is is incredibly funny and uh has a great role a very small role you know what's awesome and uh, i credit the people who wrote the pilot i've heard stephen cannell say this as well in procedurals how important it is when in that classic sort of Adam 12 dragnet or any cop show sort of way, when you're talking to a suspect and they literally have that one scene when they're giving the, the pertinent information for the, for the big story, you literally find out who they are, their whole backstory in their little scene. And they've got their own little you know, mini, this is just a slice of the story of my life. Yeah. And you get that with Bailey Chase's uh, character. Uh, I yeah. think uh, in a in a great way in the pilot. It's it's very very funny. It's, so. It is a really hard thing for well not just for us for the actors because you have to you have to bring a backstory and you have to mm-hmm. figure, figure out a way to physicalize that and to really carry that forward. And that's that's why you need these actors. That for one thing, what, what we've had a lot of luck with, we've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of theater actors or a lot of actors from improv. Like we've actually mm-hmm. been going after comedy actors a little bit because. What's nice is we, we have a very given cast. We have a cast that is they, – they, you, sometimes you deal with actors who perform selfishly, which is the moment's about them. It's about them. And we have a, a cast that's very much about making the moment about what the moment is best. You know, it's sort of like it's the, it's the yes and rule of improv, but it's also like we always hear about these, the actors that are liked most where they give the best line to someone else because it's best for the scene. It doesn't matter if it's best for you, what makes the scene the best because – in in the long run, a better scene is just better for everyone. I can appreciate that. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I I go on. I say, so we just we've been we've been very fortunate in that, and uh, yeah, it's 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 been a fun process. Like any season one is a learning curve, and one of the nicest things was we really rolled the dice a bit in as much as really fighting to get people who we just we believed could. Uh, could bring a little little weird to things like Jeremy Davies obviously is, is not a risk at all because he's just one of the more amazing actors out there. But like we just let him like you you just let him go. You don't you, you your job is to stay out of the way of Jeremy Davies <laughs> in the best way possible. That's cool. I could see that. What? How would you say? What is Fox's uh, ambition beyond? Well, we want a successful TV series, but you know, unlike a flash or an arrow or, or, a, you know, a superhero lead, you've got this anti-hero mm-hmm. lead. Um, so yeah, I mean, what, what is, what kind of directive do you get from the network? Honestly, their, their biggest directive is make it as interesting as possible, which is, sure. is a, is a tricky directive to get because there's a lot of different definitions of what that means, but they just, honestly, at this point, what people watch are t- shows that people talk about. So they want to show that people sure. are going to talk about and people are going to react to. They want Lucifer to be as as crazy as possible in the most interesting ways. Like they don't want to go for the low hanging fruit. 
but they want the big moments. It's it's a really tricky balancing act, which they are very aware of. But honestly, the big directive has been um, wow us, <laughs> which okay. is a piece of cake, you know, really easy. Um, but <laughs> but when it comes to like tone or like or world, like we've been pretty much on the same page as to what we're all looking for as we go. It's it's a street level show, but there are moments of special effects that we see in the pilot. Uh, are, do you have the budget to go as far as you need to go? Yes, yes, and partially because what we we don't go fantastical too often. Uh, right. We what we do is we save those moments for when they're truly earned. Like if if someone if you know Menadiel shows his wings moment, that's important. Like he's not. We're not always going to see them. They're not always going to be out because, to me, what's more, more interesting about this than anything else is the human element of the story. Um, but when we want to see that, when we want to see, for example, Lucifer's more sinister side come to flesh, we will see that. Um, sure. But it's it's nicely baked into the concept that this story is so much more about the time on Earth and how angels fit in here as opposed to uh, any other direction that, for the most part... I mean, there's there's episodes where we don't have much when it comes to special effects, yet they still feel very grounded in the mythology of our show because it's still it's still a, a demon bartender and the devil owning a piano bar and his angelic brother uh, getting pissed off at him and all these other things mixed in. Now, I've read that Mike Carey and Neil Gaiman have given their blessing on the show, which I'm glad to hear. And um you know, this reminds me, although I'm talking to the showrunner versus a creator who has left the project in someone else's hands. I, I just had Chris Robertson on the show in the fall talk about iZombie mm. and, and watching Rob Thomas, you know, take what what he and Mike Allred originally created and, and turning it into television and turning it into the show that it is now. Um, you know, have you had a chance to hear from any Vertigo people or, or, or Gaiman or Carrie specifically? Well, I, so I, I've emailed, I know Ellie Pyle. And so I've emailed a bit with her and mo- cool. mostly I've just wanted to get early copies of the Lucifer comic, which I think is excellent. Uh, yeah. and yeah. I'm just really digging that. And so it's, it's mostly just been that sort of kind of communication. Uh, Jeff Johns is on our conference calls. Uh, I still hear from him a bunch. So that's lovely. Great. Um, Excellent. And uh, when it comes to Neil and Mike, so when I first actually spoke to them was on Twitter because they had this – it was great. Like the announcement came out. It hadn't been made official that I was uh, running the show. And they started having a conversation about like what it's like to have someone else sort of take over your baby. And and Neil and Mike, I can't remember which of them actually sort of said this, but they were sort of discussing the idea that what you do is you you create a toy – and you play with it in the sandbox, and then you leave the sandbox and you leave the toy behind. And that's what Neil did. And then Mike picked up the toy and he played with it and he told his own stories with the toy. And then he left it in the sandbox. And I thought it was such a healthy and constructive way to approach this idea of you, you have these characters, you spend your time with them. That time still exists, those stories still exist, but now it's time for, and now someone else gets to pick up that toy. And so that's how I've approached it, which is I have a responsibility to a certain extent, which is I have to play well. I need to take care of this toy. I need to not break the toy. But at the same time, I also need to take this toy on adventures that haven't, it hasn't previously gone on. Sure. Um, so they've been really nice. I've emailed with uh, both of them and Peter Gross, the artist, um, 
great primary artist from Lucifer, and they've all been incredibly supportive and incredibly nice. And I know it's it's a very strange thing when you're when your very cerebral, crazy, awesome comic book gets turned into a TV show, and all of a sudden, very different rules start applying to it. Um, but they've been so understanding and uh, supportive. It's been great. Are you going to get uh, a chance at in the way that uh, the iZombie show was able to use some like all red art and things like that? You know, any Peter Gross art or any anything? I know Sam Keith was the original artist yes. on uh, Gaiman's run and everything. But yeah, any any kind of promotional pieces from them that you can either use for the show or to obviously promote the show? You know, I I I, I not that I'm aware of, and I wish I had thought about this earlier, and then the entire. Uh, machine started moving, and honestly, I forgot to reach out. So, as far as I know, no, I would like season two. Yeah, exactly. No, I would like <laughs> Hopefully. to. I would love to. Um, I listen. I want to see Peter Gross do a rendition of our Lucifer standing next to his Lucifer. I want to see that. I oh, that'd be great. I want to oh, know what that fantastic. looks like. Exactly. Yeah, uh, we did get Dave Johnson to do the Comic Con covers, and he's awesome. the cover artist right now on the new uh, Lucifer comic. So that was nice. But yes, I would a thousand percent love to d- dig deeper. And actually, now that you've mentioned this, I will call afterwards. It's probably too late to, to do anything right now. But uh, I think that's a wonderful idea, John. See, I'm here to help you. <laughs> I didn't know there was a new Lucifer comic. That's great. I was going to ask if they were going to, you know, represent because certainly all of the all of the old volumes went out of print. Yes. And in fact, I remember reading Rich Johnson talk about that on Bleeding Cool and go. Hey, I don't know if anyone's been aware, but, uh, you know, you better grab them because they're moving fast. Yeah, they've got, uh, I think the first issue is out right now. Uh, Holly Black is the writer uh, and Lee Garbett from Loki uh, is the artist. Very cool. Wow. So, so is it is it taking the tone of the show or is it is it its own animal? It is its own awesome animal. So it's 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 okay. a extension of the Mike Carey run, which if you've read Great. the Mike, Mike Carey run, is a hard thing to follow up uh, considering yeah. how it all ends. But uh, yeah. they found a way to do it. And it, it's actually – it's weirdly, I think, totally a mix of our show and that. And I don't think that's intentional. I think that's just where their story ended up. But – it's it's nicely the kind of book that almost bridges the two because it's got the elements of a murder mystery to it and it's Lucifer on Earth back at his piano bar, um, but it's also got all of those big cool ideas from Mike Carey's run still um, still in the ether and I'm sure ready to be played with. So, have you heard from the comic reading like Lucifer fans or the Sandman fans? I know there are definitely Sandman fans, but I don't know if there is that. Separate, because in it, and of course, yeah. Are there followers of Lucifer? You-, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't gotten them yet. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that they they enjoy what we've done. I've gotten a lot of uh, uh I've started to get the religious people accusing me of being a Satanist on Twitter. Well, that's honestly all right, Joe. Because eventually, I was going to get yeah. there because I, I I read one um Christian websites review. I'm guessing of the teaser that we saw at Comic Con. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. Okay. And and it was, I mean, honestly, it was boilerplate, and I don't mean to condescend, no. but it was just like, well, certainly they're glorifying Satan yep. here, you know. And it's like <laughs> Satan's greatest plan is for is to trick us into believing he didn't exist. Well, here's a step in that direction <laughs> by making him seem like the hero of the story. We're condemning everyone to hell, and it's like, uh, watch the show. Like, listen, if they watch the show and they still feel that way. 
I get it, but I, it's very frustrating when people come from a position of ignorance and condemnation on a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, I actually think we, we weirdly are telling uh, an oddly uplifting, oddly spiritual story. Um, I'm a lapsed Catholic. I used to, uh, I used to, I used to sing in a, a touring Catholic uh, uh, choir. So okay. I, I got my bona fides, and uh, I actually, I think my 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 very devout Catholic grandmother, were she still around, would be very happy with the show. That's very really cool, man. I like Joe Henderson, the last Catholic. There it is. There it is. I like it. That's the. There's your sequel show if this doesn't work. Exactly. Out. Too funny. Well, you know. Um, I also think uh, they're – yeah, you know, hey, we're going to – you know, uh, w- let's round up a protest and then you're going to see like there usually is at Comic-Con where there's all this, you know, boy, it sure sounds impressive on the internet. And then you get there and it's four people exactly. with, you know, badly written written signs. And uh, again, I was going to say you're in good company because I remember that show, although it, it, it was short-lived, but I really liked that cartoon with uh, James Gardner and uh, and James Woods. Uh, the God, the Devil, and Oh my and God, Joe I forgot were. about that. Yeah, God, the Devil, and Bob, or what was it? Bob, that's right. Yeah. It was Bob. Yes. Wow, you are and, digging deep, John. I well, because like I really like, I'm a Jim Garner fan, yeah. man. And, and also, he and James Woods, they always, in the few things they did together, were always really good with each <laughs> other. And James Woods is a very funny devil. He is. He's, oh, the, he can do some incredible voice <laughs> acting. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, Neil, Neil Gaiman posted recently about the whole one million moms things protesting lucifer and he was sort of like yeah you know they protested uh sandman back in the 90s and unfortunately as you can all tell that book was immediately canceled due to their protest (laughs) and nobody remembers exactly exactly. it's like it's it's only good for us to a certain extent because it gets people noticing um sure the one challenge is just we we actually want the people uh in i mean like We've had a challenge getting the show out to the more uh, religious areas of of the world, to be quite honest. I wondered about that. Go on. But uh, what's been really nice is after people watch the pilot, they get it. You hear Lucifer and you're like, oh, they're just going to be making the devil look like this really cool guy that everyone wants to be. And what what they're seeing is that we're trying to tell a much more nuanced story and a much more um, emotional story while also depicting the devil being a really cool guy that you (laughs) would really like to be. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm sure you welcome the dialogue. Yes. If, if if someone really wants to sit down from the other side, and I don't mean God's side, but I mean <laughs> the people that are protesting, and really want to sit down, yeah, I think it would be a very fair uh, discussion. And yeah, this is nothing new. And I, and I mean that in the best way yeah. of, you know, they, they there have been other portrayals of the devil that have been entertainment without, you know, damning us to – uh, you know, eternal fire. So, well, and, and by the way, one of one of the things I'm very proud of is our writers' room is a pretty balanced room. Like, where I, I would say we're we're a third atheist, a third sort of spiritual, but you know, either lapsed like myself or just sort of unsure where they are, and a, a third church going. Interesting. So, well, and will those being explored? I mean, yeah, how, I would hope so, and I would think so. I mean, you really are putting putting it out there in terms of who's to say what is righteous and yeah. what is not. And, and God, you know, that, uh, that, uh, very loud, uh, <laughs> uh, speech that, uh, Pacino makes at the end of the devil's advocate, <laughs> no. he is an absentee landlord. Yeah. You know that? <laughs> no, I think to me, but that's fascinating and it makes for good drama. Yeah, and, so. and to me growing up, uh, it was all about asking questions about religion, which it, it should religion should hold up to questions. In fact, absolutely, uh, questions enrich in your faith 
because you're not just believing it because you should, you're believing it because you have reason to believe. And what I love it is taking that to the next level of the devil himself questioning religion, questioning faith. And one of my favorite moments is someone like someone, he like runs into someone, they're like, he's like, you're an atheist. Really? How, how could you possibly be an atheist? Like basically our show, if anything, our main character is arguing uh, <laughs> for the existence of God more than anything else. Uh, but like having those conversations about what is God's intent? What is, what is the makeup of the world? All of that is to me, that's, that's, that's the, the meal of it. And the fact that we have a therapist that Lucifer can talk to, we have scenes that I cannot believe network TV is letting us put on the air where the devil talks about like God and his place in the world for three minutes. And it's just, it's conversation and, and, and soul searching and it's really fun because, uh, you know, I I haven't seen anyone do that, at least in a while. <laughs> in a long time, man. No, you know, it reminds me of some of the better episodes of things like Millennium. Yes. And they had that wonderful scene where the two demons are sitting. I mean, God, it, it was so, yeah, it was so Gaiman-esque in terms of being this very heavy conversation that these two demons are having in a coffee shop about these kinds of uh, subjects. Yeah. And also, clearly... Chloe's inability to be affected by Lucifer, there's a larger story. There. Yes. So, and then I'm sure will be explored at least in the very first 13 episodes, if not the entire series. So that's, no, I, I really think that uh, your pilot does the right things in terms of introducing the characters, setting up what the, the big meta story is, along with a very uh, good procedural story of the week, and then your secret weapon, and we talked about it again off the air, Scarlett Estevez as Trixie. Oh, my God. Chloe's kid, who is, man, you know, it is so tough to get a cute kid that isn't annoying. And thank God Scarlett seems to be one of those cute kids that isn't annoying because, yeah, she's very adorable. And her play with Tom as Lucifer is very, very I mean, the, 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 the comedic timing she has for a girl her age is absolutely amazing. And, yeah, I think... It's funny because usually you use like the kid to humanize someone like, oh, it's it's the gruff guy. But, well, at least he loves kids. And I love the fact that we're playing Lucifer as someone who sees kids as these like strange, terrifying creatures that, you know, like it, the devil only fears children. Like, I think there's just something kind of funny and, and weird about that. And Tom plays it up so well. But she's the one. She just has this just like exuberant innocence to her and. She's funny. She's in um, Daddy's Home, that Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg movie. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I saw, probably saw her in the trailers. Yeah, okay. and she is just – she is great. But I, I, I just – I hope those two front teeth never grow in because she <laughs> – it is, it is the – she's got this like cute lisp and uh, she's – yeah, she's everything. We've, we're yeah, very fortunate. We have a great cast. Uh, we've got all this. We've got Kevin Alejandro who was on True Blood who's playing her dad. He's fantastic. Yes. Uh, we can lean on everyone, which is a real lucky place to be. Very cool, man. No, I, I, uh, I, I'm really happy for you in terms of I think this is the right show and uh, having the X-Files as its initial lead. In. And, man, I had completely forgotten because I'm like, all right, it looks like Gotham's coming back for the second half. And I go, that's good. But, um, yeah, having the X-Files as a lead-in, holy shit, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's so, – we, we, it was a really nice show of faith from Fox. Um, they're really excited about the show. They're, I mean, listen, they, they, they pushed us to go outside of their comfort zone in as much as they're like – we got scripts through. Where they're like, we don't know if this will work, but we like that you're trying. We like that you're pushing boundaries, and we've been rewarded. 
in, in doing so because it, it has worked. And partially because we have a really good cast that can pull off bizarre scenes, similar to that scene in the pilot with Dr. Linda, where it's just absolutely hilarious, but it's hilarious because those actors can actually do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. And what's nice, too, is that we, we're, we're, we are a serialized show. Like, episode two won't be like, all right, here's a case of the week. Let's forget about everything we talked about in the pilot, which is a trap that a lot of network TV can fall into. Certainly. And uh, they've encouraged us to make sure the serialization continues, which is that's that's my bread and butter that's what i love doing well and that's what i wanted to know about because comparing uh doing this on a network versus basic cable where uh not only you know well i don't even know what the difference is beyond uh the luxury of you know maybe a a show will air a couple times over the week as well so that oh shit i missed it um and forgot to DVR. Luckily, we're also in this environment now where you know pretty much everything is on demand yeah. uh, for that first week, if not the first month that it's been out there. And I, I imagine will it be on Hulu as well? And uh, what are the streaming? Uh, it's going to be on services? something. I'm, I think it's Hulu. I I should know this so that I could answer this and send send uh, eyes there. It'll be on Fox.com and probably absolutely anywhere that you want to find it, so that we can get it out. Um, but uh, yeah, there it's it's going to be out there. The only the only difference is really, to me at least, the the thirteen to twenty two, and that's between cable and network, and that's something that we were right. able to dodge because of we were mid season. So, and and when it came to the formation of the show, like the, one of the reasons they hired me was because of white collar. Like they liked the fact that even though white collar would have a case in an episode, it wasn't about the the show wasn't about the case. The show was about in in that case really Neil Caffrey and his relationship with Peter Burke and all the other people in his life. Like yeah, yeah every, Neil and his Hamlet. Exactly. Yeah. Everything had to reflect that. And there was always an ongoing story and an ongoing uh, mythology that had to uh, be explored. And I basically, that's, that's what I pitched it as. I was like, this is, this is white collar with a, with a little bit of Buffy mixed in and, and about <laughs> 17 other weird things floating around. And uh, it's so really, Cable to network has for us has been it, it, it's we're we are making our own little cable show. It just happens to be going on network. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? And I wonder as a screenwriter what you think of where TV is now compared to where a film is now. It's crazy. And it's we're, we're, we're recording this the day that they announced the the Academy Award nominations. And there's a lot of great film out there. And a lot of great films got screwed this year yes. in nominations, as they always seem to anyways. But Really, it's been bubbling for for more than just a year. It's really been, if not at least the last fifteen years, if not longer, where it's pretty apparent that television is the superior uh, storytelling medium to tell the more complex character arc stories. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird because <laughs> it it, yeah. it is, isn't it? No, because it's... it was always the ambition. To graduate to to film, I mean, you know, the the Richard Donners and the yeah. Frankenheimers and and you know, great classic filmmakers that had their start doing weekly television and then graduated to features and now watch me dance. And it's so funny <laughs> to see the Scorseses and the Wachowskis and and some of these others coming to television and saying, "No, I think I'm going to play here because you know, for this story because it's." It's a comp- it's a place to tell a more complex story. No, it's fine. I mean, every writer still wants to make a movie because you know, like movies are the big thing. And you have to remind yourself that, like, if I go to movies, which 
like by the way, I do. I want to make a movie, but like the okay. I, I well, I I wrote a movie at Disney, and one of the things I did is I very much went okay. I know that I am just a cog in the wheel. I know that I'm writing the script, and then the director is going to take it away. And it was it was a very strange thing because in a very nice way, because at the very least I knew what I was doing. I knew that I am a work for hire. It was based on my own idea. Uh, but even then, the minute I was done, I was like, you guys can now do whatever you want with it because I don't control this because that's movies. And it was just an even greater reminder of like in TV, like I'm making the final decision. This is this is where writers have power. This is where we have creative control. And this is where we're not bound by the limits of an 100 page script. This is where we can tell a long form story where we can really dig into character. Like, I think that's also why you see a lot of actors coming to TV because you, you get to live in these moments a little bit more. You get to explore so many different angles of a character as opposed to this three-act structure, which is obviously wonderful. And, hey, I, I, I still absolutely love movies. But in TV, you just there's a, there's a freedom of structure in as much as we have our own limited structure. There's, there's so many just more different ways to go about it and so many more things you can do. And there's unless you're the director, there's so much more creative control in TV. <laughs> Did you have a chance last summer? Were you part of the production? And did they show the full pilot at uh, Comic-Con? Uh, so at, at Comic-Con, we showed the full pilot, which was an incredible experience. It's, I mean, it's weird for me because I'm partially, like, I have ownership of the show in the future. And yet the pilot, I'm just a fan. Like, sure. It's, it's weird because it's like these characters that have now become very much a part of me. But uh it was a weirdly proud moment and more me being proud of the work everyone had done, you know, like seeing, seeing the, this world that had been created that we were continuing so well received. People laughed at all the right moments. People seemed to really dig it. I, it, it, it was an incredible experience. It's my first time at Comic-Con, uh, actually on a panel. I've been, I've gone like, I think six or seven times. Excellent. But, uh, never, never actually looking out to that crowd of, the couple thousand people or whatever who were watching the pilot. It was amazing. Are, uh, it was it part of the Hall H presentation of like all the Fox uh, shows? We were room or... we room 20. We were one of the, okay. the smaller rooms. They, they showed them on, I think, that Wednesday night, and then we did another screening, and then we had the actors and me and a couple other people come out as well. So Cool. So it was nice, and it was, it was one of those weird games of like, seeing how people start reacting to this idea and the characters. And then we did like the round of journalists and talking to everyone. And it was cool because everyone got it. Everyone understood immediately what it was. And I think luckily because TV is now so much more normalized, they like, there's so many high concept shows out there that people get, all right, I have to go, I have to get past the idea of the devil solving crimes. <laughs> like I just, sure. I just had, there's one buy. That's my buy. I did it. <laughs> And you know what? I had a, I had a great time. Very cool. Uh, is um, yeah. No, no, what were you saying? I I just wondered. Okay, so um, leading up, to, like, do you have time during the season? Are you going to go to any conventions or what other outside of the show itself? You know, do you have a chance to do any sort of promotion? Or I mean, how how far along are you guys in the production? So uh, I am currently writing the finale. Um, as oh, you can wow. see, okay. this is a wonderful procrastination tool for me. Uh, <laughs> so let's just keep talking so I don't have to, I don't have to oh, finish writing it. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's going great. We're shooting episode 12. Uh, we're about to start shooting episode 13. So I'm just doing revisions at this point. 
Um, okay. And uh, we're going to start doing uh, – we have the TCAs on Friday, so tomorrow. Fantastic. So we're going to do all of that and do our uh, song and dance. I'm going to talk to a bunch of outlets. Uh, we've done the TV guide and all of that. I think we're going to go to a film festival. Um, when it comes to Comic-Cons, I actually don't know. I, I guess because this is like that weird period where there's not really any happening, right? Well, that used to be the case. Ah. And now it's like uh, good. I, I can't remember what city had one. La- I think New Orleans ah. had one last. I mean, like the warm weather cities yeah, are doing a bit in January and February. MegaCon is coming up in Orlando. I know that uh, as far as big shows. And Christ, Chicago! I'm shocked. Mid mid March. I mean, we're about two months away from C two E two, which is insane. Hey, uh, so. I'll I'll bring that one up to Fox too because as someone who is originally down, from uh, the Windy City, I wouldn't mind to uh, come back. Yeah, dude, I'm broadcasting in the Hancock now. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm at the I'm at the Drive, the classic rock station. Now, oh, that's doing fantastic. commercials for them. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's really insane, I and mean, you can appreciate it growing up here oh. and all and all the different broadcast entities that have come out of the Hancock. That's amazing. And I'm like, one day I'm going to work there, and now here I am finally. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of nuts. But yeah, man, if you're you know when you come back to town, you got to let me know. I definitely. And, uh, Excellent, and yeah, I, I I certainly hope to see you uh, this summer at uh, at Comic Con if all goes well, and and regardless if it doesn't, but I certainly am um, hoping it does. Me as well. Uh, yeah, no. So all right. So as you say, you've 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 got twelve episodes uh, in the can. You're writing the thirteenth episode and stuff, and you feel good about the season. I feel great. It's uh, it's one of those things where like you you, you sort of sit back, you look at your cuts because right now we're doing we're we're in post on all of them. So like. You're doing a sound mix on six. You're doing sound spotting on seven and all these other different sure. things. And I maybe maybe I'm just drinking my own Kool-Aid, but I love what we're doing. And we've got some really cool episodes. We're doing some weird, strange stuff. We're I mean, honestly, I'm I'm following the the Buffy template a bit in as much as that like each episode will feel and actually a little bit of the the X Files template. Each episode feels a little different, but they're all the same show. So, you know, okay. one's a little scarier, one's a little funnier, one's a little drier. Like, we, it's like I used to love it on X-Files and on Buffy when you'd see, uh, like, like on, on Buffy, you see Drew Goddard's name. You knew you were going to get a certain kind of episode. Right. Like, and Steve McKnight. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be like, oh. oh all those guys. And women, too. Marty Knoxon. Oh, and, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you would see these. Like, that. that's what we're trying to do here, which is tell different episodes where you you get a slightly different voice it's all the same voice and you know it feels like we're accomplishing it and based on the response to the pilot which has been very warm and very heartening because it's a it's it's such a weird uh it's such a weird show in the best way possible i mean we feel good about it but it's like you're saying like what's so great about nowadays is there's so much good tv on there but what's also terrifying is there is so much tv on the air (laughs) Absolutely. Man. Like I can't wa- – I'm still catching up on Fargo uh, in all of my copious free time. Sure. Um, you know, like I'm – there are so many shows I've been able to watch. I was only able to see the first episode of iZombie, which is a show that I absolutely loved, but I don't have time. Like I'm, I am caught up on The Flash. Uh, I, that's, that's my crack. Um, I understand. It is my crack as well. Yeah, that's good to know. The, yeah, uh, what other – what other the superhero shows or or even just comic book shows in general have you? Uh, I mean, the, the, I love made time. For? I love the Flash. I I watch Green Arrow or sorry Arrow uh, as, sure. as much as I can. I <laughs> I literally I have time for like two shows, so it's pretty much been uh, the Flash and Doctor Who have, uh, have been my jam. Okay. By the way, <laughs> Capaldi and Moffat founded this year. They brought it back. I don't know if you, you watched know, it all. 
I, I got to tell you, man, and it's so funny because an hour before we started this conversation, I was talking to a coworker. I love Peter Capaldi and I really love Doctor Who and I think Moffat is great. I love Sherlock. For some reason, it's just not happening. Did you watch this last season though? I uh, only a couple, and and I watched the I watched the last couple with uh, Clara. Oh, I haven't watched the Christmas episode yet, um, and I'm rooting for Capaldi because seriously, man, going back to Local Hero, if you know your uh, old '80s movies, uh, when when Capaldi was a kid, no, I mean, you know, this is 30 years ago, man. It was a Burt Lancaster, Peter Riegert movie, uh, Local Hero. Oh, it's a great. Oh. Movie. <laughs> it's William Bill Forsyth is this great Scottish director who made it tremendous movie and really. Capaldi is a really great, solid supporting role in it, but also the thick of it. I mean, oh, yeah. I just I'm, I'm, I've always been a fan of this guy, and I wanted. I'm like, cool. He's going to be the new Doctor. Great. And like you said, that first season, I'm <sighs> like, I don't know. And second season, a little bit better, but I don't See, know. It's funny because the first season, I actually, I, I, you know, I got busy and I just stopped watching, and I was like, I'll catch up to it. And then I just started hearing word that it had gotten better, and. And not not to say like like Moffat's a, an amazing writer. I think he's the perfect case study, and you can be an amazing writer and still have a learning curve on something. Like I found the this last season to be a very teachable moment for me because you know you're basically rebooting your show with a different lead, and they rebooted the show and they made the Doctor unlikable. Right. And I think what they course corrected on this is they they made him likable again, but they still kept the uh, the abrasiveness, but gave him a heart underneath it and honestly and the two parters i think just opened up an incredible opportunity for story that that they just ah i was i loved it i thought capaldi brought such emotion and ah i was i was i was a very happy nerd did you see this my first opportunity to talk about it uh the sherlock uh, new year's i did i did i thought that was great i thought it was great it was it's funny because i read up uh, about it afterwards and there was all of this backlash against it Really? Oh yeah! Like all these, I didn't know all that. these articles were like, "Oh, it's so self-indulgent," and you know, people wanted this Victorian uh, standalone, and instead it tied back. And I was like, "I mean, that's that's Moffat, and that's what I that's what I love about it." But I, I totally get why people didn't respond to it. I had a hell of a good time. Me too, man. No, I thought uh, great choices. I like the fact that it did still tie to. The modern story as well as playing the Victorian story that it did and the way they played it. Yeah. And uh, God, Molly Hooper was hilarious oh. and I thought that was fantastic. And a fat Mycroft? Come on. Come on. <laughs> it's true. You know, I didn't know that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a Mycroft Holmes story <laughs> last fall. I, I, I will say I did not know that either. <laughs> he is apparently legitimately this massive Sherlock Holmes fan. And I mean, I know he's smart enough to do it. I mean, he's he's got the doctorates and stuff. He's a very intelligent man. But yeah, apparently, uh, I I bought it. That's I haven't had a chance to crack it open yet. But yeah, Mike, I'm always I'm you know who can't be a sucker for Mycroft Holmes and the way Gaddis <laughs> uh, plays him uh, and writes him is just fantastic. It's so good. So, are you? How about Elementary? Are you? Do you watch that at all? I've watched a couple and I really enjoyed it. And it just it falls under the category of too much TV. Understood. Like, yeah, you know, I was going to say, man, beyond the obvious channels and, you know, you got you got the network channels, you've got uh, cable, you've got basic yeah. cable and premium cable, even Yahoo Screen. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You And crack, you know, crackle and all this stuff. Like, as as I told somebody, I'm like, you know, Army Wives is a decent show. Yeah. It's not my show, 
but it is a well-written, well-made show. But it's good TV. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And that is that is the blessing and pro- uh, problem we have is there is so much good TV yeah, out there. Our, our biggest challenge is what I just said, which is, like, look at Elementary. Elementary is a really good show. But the fact of the matter is there are so many really good shows on TV. Will people also tune in for our show? Will people also watch Lucifer? And I think you're finding this more and more where the challenge becomes what is – when is – peak TV, too much TV, how do you cut through the clutter? I mean, we're very fortunate because our title is divisive and, and very clear and tells you exactly what the show is and, and draws eyeballs. Will it draw enough? Will we be able to keep them? Will people keep watching or will they time shift too much? Like it's, it's both this, it's a wonderful problem because there's all this TV, but it, there's just not enough time in the day for everyone to watch it. So you start getting into these games of, what great TV show am I going to not watch? I understand. I sh- you know, I remember an FX show that I really loved. It was a boxing drama. It was called Lights Out. Oh, yeah. And I was a huge fan of that. And I loved the way the season ended because it did wrap up the story. It did leave things open had it been renewed. Mm-hmm. Um, without spoiling, uh, do you have a satisfying end. I mean, this is obviously what you're wrestling with, I assume, mm-hmm. with, the, with this last episode. But, I mean, it is that kind of thing of, obviously, we want you to have a second season. We want you to have a lot of seasons. But, yeah, I mean, you know, do you, are you able to give it a, enough of a, of a finish that, you know, on, on this 13th thing to cap off at least this season? One that season? is a very good question. Uh, we Let's just say that uh, I, I want to give people a reason to come back. Sure. So um, we will definitely wrap things up, but we are planning in the long term. Uh, that may be maybe foolish, but I think the support Fox has shown and the the response people have had, we want to be telling the story for a long time, and we're we're writing as if that's the case. Good man. Okay. So. And I can appreciate that. No, and and yeah, I mean, again, this is that struggle. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it won't there be are like so... it won't be like Lucifer. There's no like, yeah. There's. <laughs> We're not going to do like uh, uh, someone standing on a cliff, will he jump, won't he sort of thing. Okay. Uh, but I, I'm – when I wrote White Collar, we always did cliffhangers and they're fun. There's a reason they're fun and there's a reason that I love watching them. There's a reason I love and, – and like when they're done right, they're, they're, they're just such an opportunity for you to think about what can become of your show. Like, it's funny. Look at – Look at episode seven and the fact that episode seven is basically like a TV, the end of season one or the end of a pilot. Like it's, it, it ends with a cliffhanger that isn't quite a cliffhanger, but it, it's a promise. It's a question of what's to come. What's the future story? What's the, who, how are we going to get these mysteries answered? And that's, that's the kind of thing I just love. Interesting. Okay. Wow. So it's All right, man. Just, just uh, the, the, the soundbite is Lucifer is like episode seven. I think that's the, the soundbite. <laughs> Let's get that. And, out you there. Say, it, and, and you're saying episode seven of Lucifer? Or no, of, of, of Star Wars. Of oh, excuse Sorry. me, that episode seven. Now I'm. Wondering. I was trying to tie okay. the Force Awakens and try to get yes, all those that... fans to watch Lucifer. That's that's all I'm trying to do. Piece of cake. All right, I'm so immersed in TV talk. I, I forgot. <laughs> of course, episode seven. I, I shifted. You know. But I like it. I like the ship. Did, obviously, you saw it. I saw it. Uh, it's one of the few movies I've I've seen. Uh, no, I mean, pretty much my my days are uh, working, uh, occasionally seeing movies, and then I read. I try to read like a, a comic book a night as sort of like my palate cleanser. So, at a boy, 
I, uh, it, what are you reading? Uh, let's see. What am I reading? I just read uh, Thor three, which is I. Jason Aaron is just knocking that book out of the park still. Yeah, he is. yeah. He is. I love what he's doing, and I and uh, I Russell Dodderman or whatever his name. The artist is just fantastic. I don't know how you follow uh, Assad Rubik, which whose name I'm also I'm sure butchering. No, you did it right. Yes. You did good. But this guy, I just it's it. His style is so very different in such a wonderful way. I love what they're doing there. Uh, I just read Seeker Wars. I thought Hickman actually somehow ended that in an incredibly satisfactory way. Kudos yeah, to Yeah, I like the ending. I really enjoyed the ending. I, you know, John and Jason, they, they're amazing. Yeah. They're incredible. Two of and they my can favorite do writers. anything. They can do anything. I know it's annoying. I, I'm not happy with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, and is that. Is that ambition to write comics? Is that is somewhere in there in the mix for you always, or no? Always, always. And I, I've interesting. I've met. I know some. I know the people at Marvel. I know the people at DC. Um, and it's partially just been that I haven't had time, and partially because I don't think they care. But uh, <laughs> but no, it's. I, I think actually, I think rightly, a lot of it is uh, Marvel and DC. I think they want writers who can can build a trust with the audience. Uh, and can deliver things in a timely manner, which people like me who have TV jobs that can pull you away for any given moment can't guarantee, or at least me at this point in my life. I don't know. I mean, Mark Guggenheim can do it, but I have no idea how on earth he does it. I hear you, man. I, no, I understand. But, uh, like, I mean, what happened with Alan Heinberg? Because Heinberg is such an amazing writer. But, yes, yes. you know, if, if you're on a TV schedule and you're like him and I'm a little more like that, like, if you want, you want to make sure that the script is as ready as possible, and you're not going to, and you, you're a bit of a slower worker, so you you get delays and all of that. So, if I was Marvel at DC, I would be cautious hiring someone like me. But if I was Marvel in DC, I would definitely hire me. That's what I would say. A, well, no, yeah, that, no, I, I I would be interested. Did did Jeff King ever write in any of uh, the TV stuff that you worked? Uh, on? Yeah, you know he wrote. Guy? I think he wrote a white collar and he directed a bunch of them. So just awesome. I thought so. Okay, because yeah, I was going to say I thought he was uh, at the very least doing USA shows and specifically white collar because friend of a friend, Heath Corson is my buddy. Oh, so, awesome. Uh, do you know Heath? Uh, no, but I I think I follow him on Twitter or at least I see him and Jeff tweet a bunch. So, He's a good man. Yeah. He's a really good man. Yeah, and I you know, and I that's what I was going to say is I do know that uh, both DC and Marvel, yeah, they if if you have the time, I think they would be happy to you know entertain looking at your ideas for comic Listen. books because obviously this is what I well like I just want to say because sometimes uh, I think aspiring writers get frustrated and that they're not writing for DC and Marvel and that you know writers come from novels and, and television and film and it's like yeah because. They've been proven exactly. that, they, they, that they can hit deadlines, and they're writing entertainment, you know, fiction, entertainment fiction. And you know, to be honest, they're not making the paycheck that they could in TV and film. They're doing it because they want to. And Marvel and DC is kind of riding on that um, proven ability yeah. of hitting deadlines and and telling entertaining stories. So yeah, that unfortunately they're just kind of you know you guys are on a level of experience that the aspiring comic writer hasn't reached yet yeah That's no all. it's true it's 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 how do you prove your value do you pub- publish yeah. an indie book do you get in through a different way i mean currently i just live vicariously through mike costa who's on our writing staff and yes oh i'm so glad you mentioned that because someone told me that he's on your writing he's staff. Awesome. that's awesome yeah he's actually an old friend of mine uh i've known for years and i've been a huge fan of his writing uh and so when when i was forming the the writing staff, I just jumped at the opportunity to hire him and I'm loving his web warriors. He's doing some great stuff. He's 
Excellent. He's the real deal. And so like what I'll do is I'll just go like into his office and I'll just bug him about like what he's working on and talk <laughs> Spider-Man for a while. So I sort of get my fix there. And uh, cool. so at some point I will pitch Marvel my Darkhawk pitch. Because that's Funny. that's my terrible character that I grew up loving. So that a boy. There you go. No, I love. That's the great thing is I love the sea level characters. Yeah. That all the writers are like, oh man, I'd want to do Ultra the multi alien if I only had the shot. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. No, that's the fun of it. Is like whoever you grew up with is the greatest hero ever, even if you know <laughs> that. It, you know, I mean, like I think Darkhawk is literally Spider Man, Iron Man, and Wolverine thrown into a blender, and yet I love him. <laughs> And I can't help but not. No, I understand. I totally understand. That's crazy. But yeah, uh, no. I mean, honestly, right now I'm just – here's what I love. I love the amount of funny comics out right now. Squirrel Girl is so good. Agreed. I love uh, what Mark Wade's doing with Archie, which is a book I'd never read. I love Archie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what, I, what I love is that comics have gotten their sense of humor again. And that's yeah, not – Zdarsky. Yeah. Zdarsky oh, got Jughead. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, and is he doing uh, – is he the one doing Howard the Duck or is that – Yes. Yeah, Chip is also doing that. How about uh, have you read Scotty Young's Well, uh, I Hate Fairy? No, no, but I've uh, I need to. I've heard it's great. <laughs> Real fun. Yeah, I really love fun. his art and I love uh, his storytelling. Um, yeah, it's 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 such a nice time. It, it, it's weirdly similar to TV where there's just there's too much good stuff. A great, you know, that's funny. I uh, Rucka was on the last episode, and uh, that's what one uh, listener asked him was, are there too many good, like, and he said image books, but basically, yeah, are there too many good like, comics? Like, I have to read Lazarus. I, I am way behind on that. Lazarus is insane, and it's going to be a hell of a television show, you know, if it happens, and I know it's in development, but, God, I am I am really, like, hoping, because it would make an excellent, you know, and here's another thing. I really, I know that, like, ratings are so imperative, or are, you know, where is the... I you know I've recorded it and I can watch it you know after the the day that it airs. So you're saying the live, like, the plus three, the plus seven, the plus thirty. Exactly. Where is that equation in today's network? No idea. Boy, I'm sorry. I really am because we are in a time shifting yeah. uh, society, and that has to count for something. And because yeah, I really that is you know truly my concern for any of you guys that have over the air shows are. Fuck, it could be awesome, but as you say, there is so much competition yeah. for eyeballs. So, well, it's you and know, that's why people it's, listening, uh, yeah, if you can, you know, yeah, really, like, you know, help help them out, man, and uh, like check out, especially if you're watching X Files, Christ, especially after episode two, you know, stick around for Lucifer because I'm telling you, I saw it and it really is good and it's worthy of. Let's see where this thing goes because I, I really did enjoy that pilot, and I'm not I'm not saying this because Joe's been on the show before at all. I, I I would be through. Well, it's, you know, good luck, and we would have ended this conversation, you know, a good a good fifty minutes ago. Uh, so, I really you know, appreciate you saying pitch. that, man. But it's the truth, man. No, it's good, and I and yeah, I I do. I I I hope for the best for you guys because it is that competitive, and we've already seen it happen to good shows. Yeah. I I have to admit, I didn't watch Constantine, but the friends of mine that did loved yeah. it, and you know, it went away. No, and and. and- and like, who knows why? There's a thousand reasons why. Is it, was it the right network? Was it the right time slot? Was it yep. just a time in pop culture that didn't want that kind of show? Like, if you'd launched it five years later or earlier, sure. Like, that's that's the weird game we play. Which it's sort of like, well, like good shows can you know just go away because no one wants to watch it now. But hopefully, I feel like we're hopefully at a moment where people are enjoying 
to be entertained, but also be scared a little bit and also just sort of ask questions that they haven't normally asked. But who knows? Like it, it's, it, it is a game that I'm only going to, I'm going to create it. I'm going to put it out there and I'm just going to hope. Well, I think, uh, like I said, I think you got the right people with you. I think Tom Ellis is a very charismatic and fun uh, Lucifer so good. star. And he's such and, a nice guy. I, that's excellent. That's that's good to hear as well, man. No, you know, and I mean, that's, you know, I I, I remember uh, the creators of Eureka telling me that, you know, uh, they, and I forget the, the lead's name, but they're like, their lead was like the quarterback of a football team. And they're like, you know, he gets it. And he really is like that. That's awesome. And was, was very much like a team leader and stuff. So I hope Tom, you know, kind of projects that same kind of image and stuff. And you know, is, is, you know, helping you out as the coach, oh, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, making the team move forward and, uh, he makes my job. Easy. To... Well, partially because of the British Good. accent, he can say almost anything and it'll sound cool. <laughs> so I shouldn't give him too much credit. Like the accent does most of the work, I uh, can appreciate that. <laughs> but no, man. Hey, uh, nice going. I, I really, like I said, I know, I know it's more your baby moving beyond the pilot, but the pilot is a great, uh, opening, uh, salvo for Lucifer. And, uh, again, it debu- debuts uh, Monday night, uh, January 25th, 9 Eastern, 8 Central on Fox. Check your local listings. Nice. I always love saying You're good. I say that every day actually on commercials, so it really is easy. <laughs> By the way, what yeah. I just enjoy is uh, – I've forgotten this. Uh, I always listen to podcasts on double speed. So it's it's just funny <laughs> to hear your voice at the speed that it actually exists <laughs> as opposed to the, vo- the the speed that I listen to it at. So. Oh, no. I'm a sub-14 again. It, it's, it's a wonderful uh, sound on you. <laughs> oh, I hope I hope I have enough energy at normal speed, as I'm sure I do when I'm coked up to, to two t- you know times two. Oh yeah, energy. oh it's yeah. No, you're good. <laughs> um, you know, can I say Kevin Smith's show very listenable at twice the speed? And and yes, honestly, I was just I, there's nothing wrong with the regular speed, but I listen to Fat Man on Batman on double time. Yeah, and it makes sense. Yeah, so. no, it totally works. I, I'm a I'm buddies with Bernard, and he's a great dude. And uh, oh, that's great. I like Bernard too. Yeah. He's a good yeah, man. He's good people. And I, uh, Absolutely. No, and he's had a hell of a roller coaster year in 15. I was like, dude, thank God you came out the other end. Right? I mean, I was happy for him when he was just deputy editor of Playboy. They're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I know. And then I'm like, oh, look at all this good stuff that Upward happened. Upward and onward, so, yeah. man. Too funny, man. Well, uh, let us hope the, the same best wishes to you, uh, Joe Henderson. Nice going. I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you yeah, for hey. uh, having me on. Uh, let's talk again soon, anytime you want. I Please. love, I love hey. coming on. Joe, seriously, if you if uh, you want to talk about the show and uh, mid season uh, any anything like that, happy to uh, have you back. Let me know, and uh, yeah, you're welcome to come back. And I'm uh, thank you for allowing me to be ringside because, as I say, this current television environment is just fascinating. It is, and uh, and I appreciate your point of view as as someone that's participating. And uh, really, I, I just think that we're learning a lot about uh, television watching and also. Uh, just the changes in entertainment by you guys coming on and talking about it. So really, thanks for the time. Anytime, man. From Lucifer, Joe Henderson on today's Word Balloon. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. That'll do it for today. Thank you very much for listening. Word Balloon is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous deals are happening now at InStock Trades. Go back to the early 70s. For Showcase Presents Batman, Trade Paperback, Volume 6. Uh, great stuff from uh, people like Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, including the excellent Raza Ghoul story. Uh, tremendously uh, influential story uh, at a very affordable price. 45% off, just $10.99 for that classic. Unbelievable. You can get uh, Green Arrow by Jeff Lemire. The deluxe hardcover edition is 45% off. 
just $27.49. How about Star Wars, Lando, the trade paperback, Charles Soule and Alex Malev, uh, Paul Mount's doing the coloring on this uh, great miniseries. It's uh, 42% off, just $9.85. How you doing, Chewbacca? See, I'm a little punchy with my cold medicine. Great deals are happening at in-stock trades. You can get select image titles up to 50% off. Uh, also, you can get from Marvel every uh, Star Wars number one DCBS variant free upgrade to FedEx shipping. So that thing's going to come pristine if you order uh, that through InStockTrades.com. Also, all DC and Image titles are a huge 45% off currently at InStockTrades. Check out all the deals at InStockTrades.com. Okay, I can tell the pipes are giving out, so uh, stick around. I appreciate uh, everyone listening, and it's been a great January so far. The hits will continue. I'm just going to take a couple days to uh, mend myself. But uh, I have a feeling that uh, you'll get another uh, word balloon on time uh, within uh, seven days. And uh, more great conversation in the comic book culture right here, right where you get it every night. So until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2016. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.